following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Mini bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! My name is Matt Perez, my name is Satchel Drakes, and this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. Hey, Satchel. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Doing all right. Yeah? Yeah, chilling out for the most part. Oh, yeah? What are you watching right now? Right now, I'm in the middle of watching some Black Mirror. Oh, nice. It's pretty good. Sweet. One of my favorite TV shows is coming back soon, or it's already back. What's this? Survivor. I like that show. Yes? Yeah. I mean, you know, casual watch, but I like, Mm -hmm. I really enjoy how believable it is. Mm -hmm. And of course it was uh, a revolutionary show for television when the time it came out. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's been out since like 2000. I think it's been around for this long. The same reason that, you know, something like chess or sports have been around for centuries. It's because... It exhibits something called emergent gameplay really, really well. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Emergent gameplay. Yes, sir. I wasn't expecting that intersection. Oh, yeah. I what do this what makes you feel that way? So Survivor, if you didn't know, started as kind of like supposed to be kind of like this Robinson Crusoe sort of show where like mm-hmm. you have these you know, uh, tribe mates that like are abandoned on an island and have to work together to, to get food and survive for 30 days in this place that, you know, actual people survive their entire lives, which is right. kind of silly. I think right. it's a Daniel Tosh joke <laughs> about course. why people might not like Americans that much. We have a TV show about this. We should know about the first world lens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm with you. But I think, you know, really what, made the show what it is is a single player his name is richard hatch ended up being the first winner of survivor what he did was totally innovate the game and it it was not you know a part of the the show's dna to begin with the producers didn't know that what richard hatch would do is kind of just team up make alliances alliances was not like this normal thing that is now just a part of the show uh, right now made an alliance with Sue Hawk in front of Jeff Probst during a, a challenge, and he did what you're supposed to do. He backstabbed. He, you know, was kind of semi-evil, you know? Yeah. He didn't vote people out because they weren't good tribe mates and they weren't helping the chemistry and helping them to survive. He voted them out so he could end up the winner and win a million dollars because at the end of the day, they put a million dollars on the line. That's true. See, that that's really interesting to hear because I never even really considered that there was a point in time where that what the backstabbing kind of just feels like the air. You know what I mean? Like I kind of see it as like this really like almost like an, an uh, for going bare bones like uh, like an Amish version of like I don't know Wall Street or something <laughs> <laughs> where only the strong survive. You yes. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you said okay, so you said that he changed this game. I mean, maybe. Um, for the folks in podcast land who are familiar, the, what what is this game? It's sort of it's not only survival, but it's kind of based around challenges. Yeah, I like, think you, yeah. So the survivor survival part where you know you're kind of dehydrated a lot and you have to sleep out in the uh, uh, harsh environment when storms are going on and spiders might be crawling on you. Like, <laughs> just the one reason why I'm not going to sign up for the show, even though I really want to. Uh, <laughs> but no, like that's just, it used that, you know, I think when it started, that was the main aspect. Now it's, uh, it's just a part of pushing this, uh, this, this game where um, basically every, there's two tribes every three days uh you know during that 3 days i'm sorry uh they do an immunity challenge mm. whoever wins that challenge is safe from getting voted out uh it starts as tribes and then it becomes individuals, individuals right. um but every 3 days someone is voted out until there's only right. two or three left and then um you know halfway through the season the people voted out start staying on as the jury and they go to every single um, a vote, and they see how things are developing. And at the end, they're the ones who choose the winner. 
and the winner wins a million dollars. And the game, you know, how people get to the end, how, you know, the jury views all those final grabs, people. Yeah. yeah, it's all for grabs. And, like, everything has, ch- like, every single season's different of how that happens. And it's just so compelling to watch what is essentially, like, a really great game. Um right. In the same way that a great video game would be, or or a great board game or sport, mm. and I think like I love the idea. I, I come back to it a lot. Of this is something that's enjoyed by a mainstream audience, and right. it's like they're viewing like this some like, advanced tactics here, some advanced yeah. gameplay, <laughs> game design that like is so. Uh, people like d- game designers want it so badly in their video games and when right. players experience it it's incredible so we can actually talk about what emergent gameplay is and why it is so tantalizing and amazing i'm completely in that what's funny with survivor too is like it's there's this interesting dichotomy where it's this super advanced kind of technique thing that people desire but it's also super unique to the human condition right because it's a million dollars can make you pretty creative you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> Um, but yeah, to dive into emergent gameplay, um, I, so I have an interesting relationship with emergent gameplay. Okay. I, um, so as, as the kind of listeners sort of may or may not know, Matt and I, we, we know each other, uh, through YouTube and, um, for, a for a short while, what I would do with, uh, some of the YouTube videos that, that I would put together, they're all about video games is I'd also on my Twitter put out these, uh, these JPEGs of, like, did you know, kind of like fact yeah. cards, you know what I mean? And what it would do is it would define like developer vernacular. Um, I learned a lot about uh, emergent gameplay through a, a, a mistake, if you will, oh. where I uh, I posted out, oh yeah, what's emergent gameplay? And I was like, oh yeah, it's this, it's whatever. It's this, it was, I had this definition. I put it all together. I tweeted out. And Steve Gaynor, the developer of Gone Home and now um, Tacoma, Tacoma, um, he just tweets out. I didn't. I had no idea that he followed me. I had no idea. And he's just like, um, "Are you sure about that?" <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I no. died. Because <laughs> it was like. Oh no! I might have gotten this wrong. I took it down right away. I had to like I did all this extensive research to figure out what this was. You know what I mean? Because I just like led people astray. But I did a whole apology. Um, so there are kind of two. All this is preface to kind of say there are two definitions of emergent gameplay floating around the internet, and you might be listening to this and think you're familiar with it and not know it at all. Um, the first that's kind of going around and is actually a part of like Techopedia, which is like this, you know, everyone sort of has like a fandom Wikipedia for things. There's sort of like a general one and it's on Wikipedia a little bit too, is that emergent gameplay is a game design term that refers to video game mechanics that change according to the player's actions and that it can be created by adding multiple players to the same game environment and having their individual actions impact the overall game narrative. So, on paper, that sounds correct, but it's a bit incomplete because you could turn around and say, oh, like, so like in a Telltale game, right, where you can choose between either helping Jane or not helping her, you not helping her is emergent gameplay because it's personal to you, which is wrong. Mm-hmm. So what I've sort of learned, the the kind of second and true definition that you find deep in the vines of Reddit and anywhere, Reddit. <laughs> is vaguely associated with games that has some credibility is it's a game with mechanics that allow the player to invent new strategies outside of the original intent with uh, often the developer's intent with with tools provided to them from the game itself so it's solving a challenge with a unique solution that the developer may or may not have intended or anticipated and it's usually hinged upon two factors so correct if i'm wrong here the first factor being that the world is open enough for experimentation to happen so the mechanics have to offer a kind of sandbox for player decisions to be made uh, the idea is that the player is combining ideas to make something new so it's not like Telltale where you're making a personal decision um, because you'd still be making a decision that the developer directly fed to you. Mm-hmm. And the second um, kind of spoke of this is that the game's got to reward you for what you're doing. So the idea is that you're winning because of something that you made up. So, for example, Dishonored and Undertale, 
you know, they kind of have this combat, so it's kind of pervasive. You can choose to, like, avoid things that's not emergent Mm-mm. gameplay. What might be likened is watching the film Wolf of Wall Street, where they kind of find a way to legally do a bunch of stuff, I'm not a financy person, <laughs> and win out a lot of money and yes. exploit something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's. I think that's the second definition is far more accurate, where... Mm. It is a thing of like the developer didn't intend it, but they created a system where you are able to find these solutions and it requires like critical thinking and being creative. And it feels so rewarding when you are creative and, and you thought up this uh, this way. I think like two good examples or that are kind of in the sports realm. The one is not kind of it is in the sports realm is the film Moneyball. Which is about yeah. uh, the Oakland A's the GM Billy Bean. Basically, they don't have the same budget of, as the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox. And if they draft a great player, by the time he's looking for a contract, a big payday, he's going to go to the Yankees, going to go to the Red Sox, who are just going to buy all their players like from the small team. So what do they do? Like they, they like the traditional model doesn't work for them. It's an unfair game in a sense. Yeah. So the way the film, the book, uh, and actual what happened in real life is, he, they basically looked at the runs they were losing from uh, losing a big player, and were like, we need to manufacture this with cheap small players that are being overlooked. And then they took a. It's very mathematical. They took a low risk way of playing the game where it's like we just want to be on the base like we want people that are able to hit the ball and get on base we're not going to bunt we're not going to steal nothing risky Mm. it's all about getting on the base and they won games like they're able to manufacture having a great player by using these overlooked players and that's a way of like not it's not gaming the system it's not cheating it's it's within the confines of the rules and and being creative and finding a way to win games that isn't with a traditional model Another, which is awesome. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Especially because it's like another, like that happened in real life. This is awesome in real life, but more related to video games is League of Legends. Mm, so talk to me. Now it's the biggest esport in the world, right? right? I think, I'm pretty sure it's not arguable. It's super up there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love it. And this is like what I know the most. But like um, season one of League of Legends, when, when it first came out, I think in 2009, there wasn't really any formation to... You know, how it's a 5v5 game, like how those five players sit on the map. Basically, there's three lanes, uh, you know, and a lot of jungle in between those lanes. And I think when it first started out, people just kind of, you know, went into whatever lane, you know. um, For example, like a marksman, someone that's like an archer, went into the middle lane. If you've ever played League of Legends or a MOBA or you even watch any of them, you know there's a set formation right now. There's... A tanky, lot of health person goes top lane, a mage goes mid, uh, a marksman and a support go bottom, and then there's a jungler that kind of skirmishes everywhere and like yeah. will jump into lanes, but they'll also go through the jungles and everything. Yeah, that's not how the game started. Like the the, the people, like the the developers didn't you know intend that formation to come about. What happened was they had there's a season one championship. Um, uh, you know, now the championships are humongous, but at the time, it's just like a very small thing. The team that won, they're called Fnatic. I think they're the biggest uh, organization, esport organization in the okay. world. They won by inventing that formation. They invented go top with a tank, go mid with a mage, marksman a support bot. And I see have... it, I want it. Yeah, and they... <laughs> Whatever that was. <laughs> oh, no. I'm leaving that to the audience. Okay. 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 <laughs> uh, but no, like, that's how they, they won the first championship by using this, like, formation that, like, just they got the most advantage from it. And now that's the game. Like, every, like that's how you play. Like, they invent It's the same and thing it with Richard. Canon. Yeah, it just that's becomes That's so real. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That, that, that makes me think about... And I guess it makes sense when I was I was trying to so I was trying to think about like um, emerging gameplay examples and what kind of came to mind. I kept going back and forth. I kept thinking, okay, let's start with open worlds. Did I do anything in Grand Theft Auto that is like emerging gameplay? And maybe there's a bunch of stuff, but what I'm realizing is like I kept erring towards competitive games, and it makes sense. I mean, very much like Survivor, stakes and a pot at the end makes like a pot at the end makes people. Uh, it incentivizes, you know, people to find new ways and makes people really creative. Um, you know what came to mind for me, for an example? 
Um, this is gonna this is gonna date myself a little bit, but like, not that I'm old, I'm young, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm <laughs> I was um, uh, in college. I mean, in college, you know, you're getting you're doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff. But like, one thing that was sort of like the rainy Sunday, like get loud, get intense in a whole bunch of different dorm rooms thing was you had the go to dorm room that had Guitar Hero, right, mm. and you had the go to like um dorm room that had Super Smash Brothers, Super Smash Melee. Mm-hmm. And well Melee at the time for me, you know what I mean? And uh, whenever I hear people say you were playing N sixty four in my dorm room, I'm like oh, you're like old oh, dude. But I played N sixty four in dorm room. A, well not nostalgically though. Like <laughs> okay. it just okay. came out. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> like they were like, Whoa, look at these graphics. This is three D like they were doing that. But yeah, yeah. Like so for for Melee, you know. Um, we used to play that a lot. You used to get very intense. Like kids from different floors would be like, "Oh, you're gonna stand off this dude or whatever." And a big thing that was a part of our strat eventually was wave dashing. Mm. And wave dashing is this—it's—it's a, it's a bit of this phenomenon that you don't really hear too much about anymore. Maybe because it's become a bit like the air, but also other games have sort of like um, come out. But to to give you a little bit of context. Um, waves dashing is a technique in Super Smash Brothers Melee that's produced by air dodging diagonally, um, and you do that to the ground, which causes your character, probably Luigi, to slide a short distance along the ground. Have you seen this, like memes of it? You know what I mm-hmm. mean. So it, it's controversial because uh, there's much debate over whether its use is a physics exploit or a glitch. Uh, when you air dodge to the ground, what it does is it transfers all the momentum that you you typically would have from falling uh, to to the ground, you know, and it creates this weird looking result where like you're sliding. Either way, it's it's an unintended use of mechanics that's rewarded by the system with sort of a strategic advantage where you can like win, you know. Um, it's prized because it's an unorthodox method used by competitive players to perform any ground action while moving horizontally, you know? Um, and, you know, the uh, some of the other benefits are, like, it, it extends your hitboxes so that you you can smash, you know, like, better or, or more accurately. And then it's also just advantageous for, like, repositioning yourself in a way that, I don't know, whatever you're kind of planning out. So um, that's awesome if you're, like, orchestrating, like, a smash attack or anything. Um, it was called into question as a glitch because performing it called the game to identify that action as what's called landfall special like imagine there's like a dev kit of this thing and like when they do it it's, it's identified as landfall special you know which was traditionally associated with having an avatar in like a helpless state you know what i mean like i guess after getting butt kick right but later sakurai the guy who sort of like directed the project mm-hmm. um he stated somewhere that like he recognized wave dashing during development and that's where the rift was created where it's like, okay, this might not be a glitch, but rather this kind of falls into the room. This, this falls into the space of emerging gameplay because rather you're just sort of like exploiting something because clearly he saw it there and they decided to keep it. They didn't really take it out. You know what I mean? So it was considered a blessing. A bunch of competitors like picked it up. It spread throughout. Like it was the way that like it became like this new language, this new strategy that added to the meta of being able to like win a competition unless you're a Niki. And, um, I feel like it sits perfectly on the edge of emergent gameplay because it's not in the instruction booklet or in the tutorials or anything, even though like it's like, oh, well, Sakurai gave his blessing. That means that like the developer knew about it. So it's not emergent gameplay. Um, It's not an explicitly said thing. It's just something that's there. Right. And um, I thought that was like that was like the first thing that kind of bubbled at the top for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the thing like. That that like weird um, discussion of it, is it a glitch or not? That definitely props up, especially in competitive games. You know, there's, you know, I think I don't know if uh, like bunny hopping in Counter Strike. I don't think they're allowed to do that. Where really? I think when you you can like jump in a certain way where you are propelled forward quicker. I, I don't. I that's think they, real. They I remember my friends doing that in yeah. one point six. Like that's whip. That's back in the day. I think you could still do it. Maybe, and go? but I don't think it's like I don't think it's accepted. But there's there's things like that. I remember playing Halo Three. They, there's a thing called the Gandhi uh, jump, where it's it was a player that named himself Gandhi. Um, okay, <laughs> but it's it's basically you crouch in the air and you're less likely to get 
uh, shot in the head, basically. Oh my goodness! So it's like, yeah. but that's like that's totally like that's obviously not a glitch. It's just a weird little thing. Little yeah. thing. I think my favorite um, example, like that I've experienced of emergent gameplay, it actually happened like a year ago. Was it's a game called Town of Salem? Okay, I've it's, heard so of it's this. like a browser game, and. Um, Again, it's multiplayer. I think a lot of it has to do with like you're interacting with other people, and it's just like trying to find these competitive advantages against like a human character, basically. Um, but basically, you're in a, a village. It's it's like Salem, um, yeah. uh, in a village with other people. Everyone's assigned a role, and no one knows what each other's roles are. Uh, there's really two factions. There's the town, and they're good people. And there's, like, not the town, they're evil people, like, the <laughs> mafia uh, and a serial killer and stuff like that. And there's a day-night cycle. During the day, you guys kind of try you, – you talk to each other and try to figure out who is a bad guy. Yeah. And you're able to vote uh, on somebody and they go to the gallows, basically. Okay. Um, but you never know – you're never really – for sure about who's lying or not. And I love games that are like emphasize uh, lying yeah, and being yeah. deceitful. Yeah. At night, you know, uh, like the serial killer can like kill anybody uh, or right. the mafia people can kill somebody. Right. This is um, like Avalon. I don't know if you've ever played that card game. It's like board, if a board game. But it's definitely like a board game. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but there, so it's really fun to be able to like figure out ways like how you should be deceitful and like what kind of persona you should take on. There's a lot of strategies there. Like you can keep fake notes and pretend you're a good guy, like a, a role, like the lookout who can just like look at someone's house at night and see if anyone's visiting them. And you'll just keep a fake little agenda like this night I he- saw here. So if they call you out, you're like, nope, I have my notes kind of thing. But there's uh, a few neutral roles where you kind of have a weirder mission. And the one is called a jester. Your goal as a jester is to get hanged, basically, to go to the gallows, to get Jeez. voted on by the town. But no one, like, it's, it's, I, I first thought it was a stupid role where the yeah. only option is to go like, hey, guys, I'm the jester. Can you send me so I can die kind of thing? Right, yeah. Or you can just act crazy, but, like, no one's going to believe you. Like, no one believes you. <laughs> um, so it's like I, I couldn't figure it out. Right. But I did eventually, and I, it was, like, the coolest moment I've had in a while in the game. <laughs> so there's a way you can whisper during the day. And to do that, you push slash W, and you just type your message, and it's like, Everyone sees that you whispered to somebody, but they don't see the message. They don't see obviously. the message, yeah. And everyone gets. Oh my gets... gosh, that's giving me anxiety thinking <laughs> yeah, about that. It's a very angry. <laughs> There's so much anxiety. It's like debate and go, like, please don't send me. But right. like, um, everyone gets really paranoid when people are whispering. But like, why would a bad guy whisper to another bad guy? They can talk to each other at night. There's literally no reason to whisper during the day. Mm. Doesn't matter. People get freaked out when there's right. whispering happening so right. i was like hmm i think i have an idea so the code is slash w i wrote w slash and i was like hey tom can you kill sam tonight Ooh. and it was public and it looked like i screwed up and they were like Ooh. send them send them and i was like yes that is good it was you are bad <laughs> i love it there we go. That deceit. It was so. I like. I like held my breath the entire time, and they, it was like unanimous. They're like, "What an idiot! Just send him. Just send him." Yeah. And and like when you hang somebody, like as it, right afterwards, it tells you the role, and they're just expecting like a mafia person. It's a jester, and everyone in the chat blew up like, "Oh my, oh my god!" god. <laughs> I was like cracking up to myself. I was so I proud would of myself. Die. That's amazing. But it's like being like creative in that way and just finding a way to exploit the system in that way. Like, it was great. I loved it so much. And I really I felt like Richard Hatch, man. <laughs> so I kind of want to talk about um, Survivor and kind yeah, of like some of the back. cool ways that like players have innovated the game. So we're going to talk to Rob Sesternino. He's a popular player on Survivor and currently talks TV on his podcast, fittingly titled Rob Has a Podcast. In particular, his show Survivor Know-It-Alls analyzes every episode with co-host Stephen Fishback, another celebrated player. We want to talk about player innovation in Survivor. Uh, could you just, right off the bat, uh, like your general feel about the game of Survivor and the freedom afforded to the players to shape how a season plays out? Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. 
Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fun hunting for your brilliant brunch Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Yeah, Survivor is a really interesting game because that other than the, you know, uh, parameters uh, set out by the production of don't kill anybody, there aren't exactly any, uh, you know, rules that you can or can't do in terms of how you want to approach the game. So you have, you know, 18 to 20 people coming into any given season, all with their own sort of like unique approaches to morality and what is sort of fair and not fair in the game of survivor. Yeah. I think it's like one of the coolest elements is that, you know, people come in and can win with their type of play style. Uh, a lot of it has to do with how you read the cast. Uh, can you talk about the number of ways people succeed just through understanding their opponents, through understanding the game and everything? Uh, Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, we've had 34 seasons of the show and 33 different people have won it. And, you know, there's all they're all over the grid in terms of, you know, uh, some people have won it by being sort of a provider that has won a lot of challenges. Other people have won it by being sort of like the. Uh, least negative uh, of the options that are there at the end. Other people have been a leader the whole way through. Uh, so it, it's the same approach doesn't necessarily work uh, every time out, and it's really dictated by the people that make up each individual season. Yeah, it's interesting to see, like, at the end when uh, – so the jury is, like, former castmates that uh, got voted out. And, like, sometimes they really enjoy the player that, like, went all out and backstabbed. And then they get really angry and want, like, a quote-unquote hero to win or someone that tried to be moral or something like that. Like, that's a tough – one of the toughest elements of it, which is really interesting and, like, changes the play style of these players. Yeah, but I do think that there is something that it like kind of makes it make sense where, you know, that you could have two different people who both backstabbed, one ends up winning the game and the other one ends up being hated by the jury and getting no votes. And I think it all comes down to the ultimate approach. Like if you are playing a game with somebody and that person walks away feeling like, uh, you know what, they got me. I, I got to tip their cap. Or a person who walks away from the game and says, that was really messed up. You you did not have to do what you did to beat me. You didn't have to make me feel stupid or humiliate me or, you know, make me believe a certain thing. So there is an artful way of doing it and there is a way that's sort of just the a very sloppy way uh, in terms of uh, taking a person out that ultimately leaves them feeling like they wouldn't want to give you the money at the end. You know what I'm kind of curious about? Um, when I when I kind of think about like online multiplayer video games, um, usually during the 1.0, you kind of have like this open world context where people can game the system. And if the developers aren't super happy with the way they might have gamed the system, maybe they feel like they were overpowered or kind of took too much advantage, they'll implement, they'll sort of deploy like a patch to like stop that from happening. I'm curious to know, um, I'm curious to know, Rob, from the season you participated to now, um, has there been anything close to that where sort of like the game designers, if you will, of Survivor have adjusted the rules in a way that make it a little bit harder for people to garner too much power or to garner too much uh, influence? Well, the game is constantly evolving because I think that what they want to do is, uh, for the viewers, they want to keep the experience fresh. So they have a unique challenge of trying to change things up a little bit to keep it interesting, but not change it up so much so that it's unrecognizable. So you sort of want the familiar feeling of, hey, I'm watching Survivor, but ooh, what's this little wrinkle as opposed to what's this major change? And part of that is driven by the players who adapt to the gameplay. You have a lot of people who are super fans 
who do things like uh, go online and, and listen to these podcasts and are in different like online communities and Reddit and stuff like that. And they do know the ins and outs of things and how to beat a specific twist. And there's so much discourse about what a person should have done facing a similar challenge that I do think there's a lot of pressure on production to continue to evolve the twist because in we, we reached a point where probably the, the most boring part of the history of Survivor was sort of like, it just was very easy for players to just make a five-person alliance the first day and then just sort of ride that out. And we had a couple of seasons in a row where that sort of carried people to a win. And one of the things production did was having more seasons where, okay, instead of being in a group of eight to start, well, we're going to put you in three groups of six, which then made it more difficult for one group to just sort of stick together from day one. Then you got to the point where... You, when you got to the merge, you needed more. You need to build a coalition from more than just the group you started with. So that opened up the gameplay uh, for you know the last like ten seasons or so. It's also interesting to see like which which of these like patches endure because you have something like <clears throat> excuse me like Redemption Island, which is like a little weird and kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. But then you also have, they introduce hidden immunity idols where you didn't have to win um, tribal uh, immunity challenge. Instead, maybe you got a clue and it was like a a immunity idol for you that was hidden somewhere on the island. And that has endured and it's like evolved so much, especially like it's still present in this last season. And uh, I think that might be like the secret to it where, um, maybe you can talk about this, Rob, is um, a player like Russell Hans, who started to find his own hidden immunity idols without clues, and he like worked um, as like a minority uh, uh, tribe and like made it to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hidden immunity idol itself has gone through a lot of different tweaks over the history of Survivor. The biggest enemy of Survivor is predictability. So like when the audience feels like, okay, I know I don't even need to watch the show. I know who's going to go out next. But when the Hidden Immunity Idol came into play, that made it so, well, with the idol, any given night, anybody could potentially go home because of the way that the idol could be, uh, to be, to be integrated into that. And so when Russell came along, really that he ended up saying or recognizing the importance of the hidden immunity idol. And whereas in the past it had sort of been like a scavenger hunt where you have to like look for clues to get to the idol. He was one of the first people to say, well, what, you know, I'm just going to stick my hand in every tree until it's got to be here somewhere. And so he ended up having it and he found it and it freed him up to play it because he didn't have to work that hard to find it in the first place. And then he said, I'll play it and then I will go out there and I'll find it again. So it really (laughs) did free him up to be much more aggressive as a player because he felt like that he sort of figured out a uh, cheat of, you know, I will just keep getting the idol. It's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like it's it seems like strats on strats on strats. Yeah. There's no and, and I mean I guess I guess you always forget about that um that element of oh well when you're a fan of the show, this only makes the meta way more intricate because you have people yeah. who are like developing new strategies off of ones that other people have seen versus this idea that you're going in blind every time, which kind of isn't the case anymore, mm-hmm. right? Like, it feels mm-hmm. like it's an evolving game. That's yeah, what's really yeah. interesting about it. It's like the the um, the previous, the first episode of this newest season, immediately everyone is freaking out because they think, like, there's two separate people who are, like, someone went off to uh, either look for uh, immunity idol or they were just, like, getting firewood. And two separate people freaked out and were like, 
what's in your what's in your pocket. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's created this like crazy that telegraphing. Now. Yeah, that paranoia. Oh, that makes me anxious thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah because people uh, now that anybody that goes out there, you, you know, anybody that wanders off by themselves, you say, okay, are they off going to go look for the idol? And then once they have it, that sort of like it makes people feel like they're shifty. So, you you know, it's like, okay, well, you, all you need to do is go out there and then you can find the idol and then you'll have all this power in the game. But just the act of going out there and searching for the idol makes you a big target. So you really need to weigh the, you know, uh, co- the cost benefit of should I go, do, should I go and, you know, give up this social capital to go out and look for the idol when everybody is going to then think differently of me because I was out there and you may not find it. That's the other part of it. It's not like it's, uh, you know, sort of like at the top of a ladder and, you know, the first person to go up there and get it will have it. You could go out there and look for an entire day, piss everybody off and have no guarantee that you're going to come back with it. Yeah. Also in talking about, um, the game evolving. I wanted to highlight what you did. Uh, I think you were on one of the earlier seasons, and you did something that people call alliance switching. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit? So when I played in Survivor of the Amazon, up until that point, for the most part, people sort of had a big group, and they stuck with it, and then you kind of like went down with the ship. It was like your group versus their group, and ultimately that was how the game was uh, was being played to that point. And I sort of had the idea to say, I well, you know, why can't I vote with these people this week? And then if it suits me, uh, vote with these other guys the next uh, time. Like why, like, why do I have to stick with one specific group? And it's not like I, like, thought that up while I was, like, at home and I'm like, I'm going to go on the, on the right, show and I right. do like, this is, but I was I was with a group, and I felt like, well, I think I'm the the fourth out of four in this group, and I think if I vote with these other people, I think that I can be in a better spot and potentially uh, switch things up and then go back and vote with the other people because I think I'll be in a better spot. And then um, that's you know I had a, a pretty good run with that for a while. Ultimately, I didn't win, but I got close. Yeah, you did. Well, it's the thing, like, uh, someone like Boston Rob, like, really, he was someone that, like, he's a legendary player, and, like, he would be yeah. on top of the uh, the uh, the alliance, but he would make everyone else feel like they were the number two, and then he would just pick them off. And, like, in, <sighs> in doing what Rob is doing, where it's, like, you can actually, like, be on the bottom, identify who's the leader, and just, like, figure out a way to get to the end. And I feel like that's, that's like, a mainstay of the, 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 the um, series now, like... That's part of the game, like how alliances are part of the game, and I don't know. I, it's I feel like survival of the Myers Briggsness in a kind of way. <laughs> yeah. There's certain types that float to the top. For that that's a, that's amazing. But yeah. it's like, and now I feel like that's evolved to. I don't know if it's still much of a thing anymore. But there was a season where it was a lot of returning players, and they're really great. It's more recent. And um, they did think, I think Stephen Fishback, uh, your co-host. Second chances. Yeah. yeah, He dubbed it voting blocks. So everyone was kind of like open about like, listen, like no one's in like a serious alliance. Like it was like they were in like uh, an alliance with like one or two other people. It was nothing ever big. And what would happen, it felt like like the Cold War. Like they would like hash Mm. it out like verbally of like. Uh, maybe this week we'll work with this alliance, and then next week we'll work with this alliance. Like every week, it just reset, and that was like a week, another like permutation of like this way of dealing with alliances. Like I think that's so awesome. Yeah, it's you know, and, and then another season later, they were ca- calling that sort of like these uh, like trust clusters. But it's basically it's like if I like basically you know you don't you feel like you can't trust anybody everybody is self interested but maybe you have like one guy like I know I can trust Matt I know no matter what Matt's my ride or die I, he's got my back and so okay we're going to move together so maybe this round we'll vote with this other group of 2 or this other group of 3 and so maybe there's no alliance of 7 but maybe there's a group of 2 and a 2 and a 3 who are going to come together for a common goal, but maybe the two is going to go ahead and vote with a different group come the next round. Yeah. 
And again, it's a thing that like manifested itself in the first episode of this last season. I mean, this uh, this um the newest season of like, you know, a group of four make an alliance, but one of them sees two are closer and he freaks out. Like Right. And it's I think he eventually yeah, this is going back to the hidden immunity idol, thought he had it and made him strip down just to show that he didn't have it. It's like <laughs> Yeah. You got that I think that's the thing and then but it's the thing, like when you play too hard in the beginning, then you're a target. So it's this whole like mental balance that like seems like you have to maintain over thirty days. That's insane. <laughs> Um, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on um, the previous season, Game Changers. So they called it Game Changers because they identified it as a cast of people who brought something new to the game. Did you um, like? What did you think of the cast? And did you see any like new developments during that season? So the Game Changers season was it was interesting because you know they called it Game Changers, but it was probably top heavy in terms of people that played who ultimately did uh, change the 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 gameplay to that point. And then you had some other people who they just wanted to bring back as all stars, like newer but, people, right? Uh, but the interesting part of it was that it ultimately resulted in a season where people the gameplay was pretty tight, especially in the first half, where anybody who was sort of like outwardly schemy was uh, targeted very early, specifically Tony, who, uh, you know, is one of the game's biggest game changers because he just played so aggressively during Survivor Kagiyan. You know, he's targeted immediately off the bat, and Sierra, who was famous for sort of, like, forcing a tie and, you know, wanting to make really big moves was sort of like her uh, signature, um, uh, you know, uh, philosophy... Uh, she was also targeted very early on. So people just sort of wanted to, okay, uh, play it slow rather than a season where you have a bunch of aggressive players and then expect a very aggressive season. And the the person who really ended up sort of like dominating the gameplay was the woman who won, who really was able to get everybody to trust her because nobody thought she was a threat. But meanwhile, she was, like, doing that Boston Rob-type uh, idea of making everybody believe that they were going to the end with her. And nobody just suspected her of anything because the, she didn't come into the season with sort of this mark of being one of the aggressive game players. Yeah, and this was a season where it seems like they added a lot of new elements. They had, I think, like, the first episode, they had some type of, like, this, like, legacy advantage where um, it allowed immunity when there were 13 or six people remaining and this is something that um sierra had from the get-go yes and then very late maybe like the penultimate episode sarah it was a thing of like if you weren't going to use it and you got voted out you you would have to like privately give it to someone else that was still there and sarah like i think she voted for her to leave but then like pretended like she was shocked like i couldn't believe it and then Sierra gave it to her, and so she had this advantage because she was really good at like acting, basically. Oh, yeah, it's kind of amazing. My goodness, I think it a lot. Yeah, so I think they, I think like some criticism for it was like they threw a lot into that that season because there's another thing where she found an advantage to uh, steal someone's vote and to convince someone to trust her. She gave it to uh, to them, like. I trust you. This is an advantage I have. I can steal someone's vote and gave it to her. But during tribal counselor, this person tried to use it and it was not like a transferable advantage. advantage. So then like Sarah took it back and used it and like knocked her like number two out. It was just crazy how she was able to like use these advantages. So I think, I think they threw a lot into that season, but you luckily had someone like Sarah that like was using them in really imaginative ways. And I think the jury appreciated that. Is that correct, Rob? Yeah, I think that that's probably a little bit more of the, like, uh, cleaner version of it. Like, I don't know if Sarah actually, like, was trying to trap Suri when she gave her the advantage. Like, I think it worked out where that she was trying to earn Suri's trust, and she said to her, hey, I have this advantage, I'll let you hold it at Tribal Council. And Suri was like, okay, I need to use this advantage tonight, so... I'm going to have Sarah give it to me, and then I'm going to play it in a way 
that she wouldn't necessarily approve of, but I'll explain to her after why I did what I did. And then Sari got up to use the advantage that Sarah had given her, and then it turns out that that it was not an advantage that could have been transferred. So Sari really ended up with egg on her face because that she tried to make a move which Sarah would not have approved of. It's like, and the gun didn't go off. You know, it was like, oh. Uh, okay, well, and then, you know, she was in a compromised position after that. And then again, yeah, her ally ended up going home at that tribal council. So it was uh, certainly an exciting moment. Yeah. There's also a thing of, like, she got that advantage during a challenge, which they started to do, which I really like. So they'll get a clue, like, hey, during this challenge, when you're working with your team, if you check under this, like, bench or something, you'll find an advantage and so it's like this weird the players in this weird bind of like i gotta help my team out but like my mind is kind of on sneaking over yourself yeah it's like (laughs) i really like that they added that to like at least like make these like getting an advantage like a little bit more challenging and exciting i guess yeah that's always played well when they've hidden the idol at a challenge because then you know, you take away that element of somebody just being able to find it without a clue, and you have that somebody has to be daring enough to be able to walk away from the challenge to be able to go and try to get this advantage. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. They, like, replace... Instead of you, like, going out randomly to, like, landmarks and finding a hidden immunity idol, you, you find the clue now, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's So you, find, you get a clue, and it says... Okay, well, this is what you have to do. The idol is hidden in the challenge. Yeah, I kind of really like that. How do you feel yeah. about the um, the super immunity in the first episode? Can you explain that too? So Survivor this season came up with an idea of a super-powered idol that had to be – that only was powerful or only had power for the first episode. So the – the first tribal council. So if you found it much like that legacy advantage, you had it and you've had to, you could use it if your team is going to tribal council, but if it wasn't, you had to give it to somebody on the team that was going to tribal council. So the guy who found it, his tribe was not going to tribal council. He was going to send it to another person and she had the option to play it for herself or for another person but she chose not to, and the reason, the thing that the beauty of not using it is that now you have this artifact, so you could potentially use it as a fake idol oh. uh, in the game. So there was a there was a reason not to use it, where it's almost like that this is a a, a gift card that expires. But now it's like, okay, well, you have a gift card that you can sort of like uh, pass to somebody else where if you, if you had like a $50 gift card that was expired, what could you do with it? Well, you can't use it at the restaurant, but could you find somebody on the street to give you $40 for it? So uh, right. that it, it's interesting right. you know, that now you have this very realistic looking prop. What can you do with it? Okay, I like that. Yeah, because I was like screaming at the television like, just use it. Just use it. But I think it was smarter that she didn't because I think it would have put a, a target on her back. Uh, yeah. So that has that element too of even though right. – Yeah. Yeah. And then also um, the uh, the other thing that they didn't really explore on the show is that I, I don't think that the mom squad was actually a thing. I think that um, for Chrissy – she want, there were two women that were 46 years old on the tribe and one of the and they, the show made it seem like oh they're working together they're the mom squad but really the one 46 year old was like oh good let's vote out the other older lady and then that let's just sort of just say okay we got rid of the older person and <laughs> so it was like uh, she would have been like she was worried that they were going to vote her out because she was the older person but now that that's sort of been like pinned on somebody else then I think that she feels more comfortable. And there's like insane cracks in whatever alliance they thought they had. So she might yes. be able to like get in there maybe. Yeah. That's um, it's a very dysfunctional tribe. The heroes, <laughs> the ironically the heroes. named heroes. Yes. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, like as like a, a, a few final questions, like who I like this is like just a general thought. Like, who do you think might emerge in this new season as uh, the game changer if someone's going to start watching it this season? Well, in terms of the strategists, you know, I, I think you have to look back at like the people that are like the super fans. And I feel like that's Ryan, who already found the advantage in the first episode. And then there's also some other players like a, uh, you know, Dr. Mike or O'Rourke. But the people who sort of like already are super familiar with the strategy, those are the people that I feel like um, might have the best shot to sort of advance the strategic uh, discourse or the strategic knowledge base of what we have because they've been thinking about this stuff for so long before they go to the island. The challenge is that it's not necessarily the best strategists who always win. It's not like you know poker or a video game where I could have the best strategy uh, you know, a big part of the game that gets overlooked is just the social game and how naturally charismatic and likable people are. So I could have the best strategy in the world, but if I'm coming across as not a likable person, I won't win the game. Russell. So, yeah, <laughs> you have to have the strategy uh, to a degree, but you also have to be likable enough to win. Yeah. I was also going to say Ryan. I like him. He's a scrawny bellhop from New Jersey. I can relate to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely has a self-deprecating uh, thing going on, and I think that that plays well on Survivor. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I don't know. Did you have any other questions? Or No, this has been great. Yeah. I had actually one really selfish question I wanted to ask. Yes. I think I asked you before, but I, I kind of want to get a, a replay. Is, uh, so, like, how many spiders do you see when you play Survivor? Oh, my God. Because, <laughs> oh like, God. I really want to play. Yeah, but I, I didn't don't know see if I can that get over many. That. Oh, I, I, I really didn't see that many. Um, that there they were out there, sort of like these big, like tarantula type spiders. And we're done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one is enough. Oh, man. That being said, I played in the Amazon, and Survivor seems to have made a permanent home in Fiji. I have not talked to any of the people that played in Fiji about the the insect issues, but. I've seen on the show, they seem to have these big stick bugs, yes. but I have not seen any major spiders. Okay. Well, they used to, like, they always do, like, these nature shots for the transitions. And it's obviously, like, way, like, a little bit more, like, I think they, they probably, like, too romanticized. Up. Oh, yeah. man. They will just do a close-up of a giant tarantula. And I just, like, <laughs> it's like a shock to my body. I just can't take it. Um, but great. Um Thanks so much, Rob. Uh, this is this is really great. Yeah, good. Well, happy uh, that I can help out, and uh, yeah, let me know if there's anything else that you think of after the fact. Awesome, we'll do. Yeah, thanks for taking an interest. I always appreciate it. Oh, I love Survivor. I've been watching since like season two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. All right. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thanks, Sasha. Take care. Okay. Bye. Up next, Forbes contribs Eric Kane and Paul Tassi talk 2017's biggest hit, Player Unknown of Battlegrounds, a game where you do a cross-country sprint for 15 minutes before some guy in a bush shoots you. Hi, I'm Eric Kane. And I'm Paul Tassi. Uh, we're going to talk about a uh, smash hit on PC, uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, one of the most awkward titles for a video game you've ever heard. But also, right now, one of the most successful games on Steam. Uh, 10, 10 million copies sold. Yeah, and it's not even out yet. That's the crazy yes, thing. Yes, early access, yeah. Um, well, at least not at the time of this recording. Uh, I doubt I it if, will be. Yeah, they don't even <laughs> need to release future. this game. They can just keep it in early access forever, keep selling copy after copy. Uh, it's, it's had moments where it's bit, had more concurrent players than Counter-Strike Go and Dota 2 on Steam, which is really an, a, a remarkable feat. Yeah, that's that's pretty insane. Nothing's topped Dota in at least I think four years, like consistently. Which so that's, it, I mean, it's setting all kinds of records. But that that one is is especially um, interesting, and it's going to be out on Xbox One soon. So I'm I'm very curious to see how it does on console. Yeah, it's going to be a whole different ball game on console. I feel like I'm 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 not sure like. I think I'll try it out, but 
I, I feel like it's really a PC centric game. You know, <laughs> I feel like it could it could work. I mean, generally, like everyone's kind of gotten used to it on PC, and it's probably easier to control on PC. But I, I definitely think there'll be a, an Xbox market for it um, to a certain extent. But. Yeah, before we go any further, we should talk about what this game actually does. Because <laughs> uh, not everyone's going to have played this, even though it sold so many copies. Um, for one thing, whenever we write about this game, no one actually reads what we have to write about. So I'm it's not sure. That, yeah, it's a strange thing because it's such a phenomenon. But apparently people who play it just play it so much that they don't care to actually read about it. Um, it's also not really a game where you need to like read too much about it because it's so straightforward. I mean, basically, you have a, a giant map. What is it like? Like, tw- how, how many kilometers do you remember? Uh, I don't remember the exact. It's big. Count. Yeah, it's it's very large. It's really big. Uh, and you you fly in on a plane and along with you know a hundred players per match, give or take, and everybody parachutes out of this plane on di- into different points of the map, and you you have no no weapons or anything to start with. And you land uh, in your parachute, and you and there's houses and buildings all dotted across the map, and you've got to go into these buildings to find weapons and items like backpacks, uh, med, uh, first aid kits, things like that, ammo, guns, mostly guns, guns, mostly guns, yeah. Um, and then you try to be the last person standing, so uh, everyone tries to kill each other, and as you play, the map there's a big circle on the map and it slowly shrinks towards a center point on a timer. And if you're caught out of that circle for too long, you automatically die. So everyone is forced closer and closer together in a sort of hunger game style arena match to the last man standing. Um, and it's very tense and it's uh, it so very nerve wracking. It's more tense <laughs> than I think any other shooter I've played in recent memory because yeah. it, it's, 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 <laughs> Yes, other games give you one life sometimes, but just trying, like seeing people picked off one by one through the hundred and just seeing yourself shoot up the list, you're like, oh man, how far can I get this time? Like, could I possibly win? And then someone shoots you from 30 uh-huh. miles away and you die. <laughs> or you walk around a corner and boom, there's someone camping right there and you die. But that's part of the um, fun of it. And like, mm-hmm. unlike other games like Call of Duty, where you get really mad about people like spawn camping or hiding or whatever, like this and that. It's a lot. I feel like it's a lot harder to get mad in Battlegrounds because it's all just kind of part of the game, and it's so kind of expected that people are doing all this stuff. That because it's just it's purely about survival, that it is a little less frustrating when you when you die because that's just kind of what happens. Well, sure, and also because that circle keeps shrinking, you can't necessarily just camp because you have to keep moving towards this. So unless you're already at the center. You, you can't just camp forever. You have to move. You have to keep moving, which sort of keeps everybody on their toes, which is really a, just – it's such a simple game mechanic, but it works so well. Um, yeah, I, and my, my best is number seven. So seven. I've gotten to number I think seven. I I'm like 11, so you have me beat, but I have not gotten yeah. the first place chicken dinner yet, but maybe something. I don't, I don't play enough. No. I mean is to this- get to the really higher levels consistently, like you do have to – really kind of memorize the map, memorize all the weapons and like how to fast equip stuff and how to engage. And so it it's it's interesting because first it started with people just watching it because it was a fun game to watch people stream because it's yeah. perfect for kind of, you know, these Twitch streamers that are kind of larger than life personalities and, you know, screaming and yelling and laughing about all the goofy uh, yeah. stuff that happens. But in contrast, it's also something that is pretty easy to pick up and play. Uh, and at least get, you know, a couple dozen ranks in just if you're kind of being careful. And so I think it's kind of ad- addicting in that way. And that's kind of how it's it's lured people in with initial kind of Twitch and YouTube stuff. But then once people pick it up, they really like it. So that's that's kind of how it's blown up. Yeah. You know what I find always gets me in this game is that I get so I, I feel like I get so much adrenaline going that I can't aim anymore. <laughs> so I get it gets to like you know I, like the last time I played I think I was at number like sixteen or something and I I shot this I came up on this rock like outcrop on a hill and between the two like parts of the rock I could see another player's head so I I shot him in the back of the head and I killed him and it was great so now I'm at like number fifteen and then I see a guy running up the hill and he's kind of far away and I probably should have just followed him or something but I tried to shoot at him. But I'm just so like I just so nervous at this point, you know. I'm I'm 
and I just I, I shoot really poorly and I get killed. And uh, this I just feel like this happens to me as soon as I start to get up to the the higher echelon. I'm just I start to get. And this is what I mean. It's a nerve wracking game. <laughs> no, it is I mean, to the point fun. where like I can it's only play a couple matches at a time because it's like at the end you're just like, oh man, <laughs> like it's almost better <laughs> yeah. to die early because you're not that stressed. You're like, oh, I died at you know number eighty, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but totally. Again, if you, yeah, if you get up there, you're like kind of kind of sweating at that point. So, <laughs> right from the beginning, though, the very first match I ever played, I, I landed in a house or I landed near a house and I ran into it and I saw another guy right there running into another house. This is the first I've ever played. I've never watched it or anything. And I go in and I find the guns and I figure out how to equip them. And I walk out the house and this guy's shooting at me. So I duck back in and then I bust out and I shoot him and I kill him. And I'm like, oh, my God, I kill. It was such a gratifying, gratifying thing, like way more than in a game like Call of Duty. Like it was just a really cool feeling. And then the next guy that came up killed me. And so it's because, I mean, kills just mean so much more in a game like this, where if you get like, you know, three or four kills, that's great. Whereas Call of Duty, you can get like 22 kills and no deaths and still lose matches. So yeah, although I never do that. The stakes are just, yeah, no, me neither. (laughs) But the stakes are are a lot higher here. And that's, I think that's also why it's effective. Yeah. And it also is kind of an interesting game because you don't need to get a lot of kills to win. No, you you can almost play pacifist for for a lot Uh of the part. And if you know how to avoid getting shot and shot at and making your way to the center, you almost don't have to kill anybody except for, for the very end, which is kind of a unique experience because most mm-hmm. games you cannot win just by hiding and dodging and running efficiently. But this, that Playing is a smart. very, you know, that's very beneficial to be able to do that to a certain extent. Yeah. It allows for some, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to say tactical, but it, it definitely allows for, for players who would rather be clever uh, and, you know, like there's little tricks like shutting the door behind you when you go into a building so that, you know, another player doesn't know if you're in there or not. Oh, I need to start doing um, <laughs> You know, things like that really can make a big difference. And then, you know, I've, I've gone into a building, shut the door, walked into a room and then heard the door open. And so just being aware of that, it's the like a sound. Movie. <laughs> yeah. And then you just wait in the kitchen until they walk around the corner and then you, you know, and then you shoot really badly at them because you're so nervous <laughs> um no but i i you know i've had lots of moments like that where i feel like i basically i was able to outsmart the other guy even though i may not be as good of a shot yeah that's um, really that's... important because i would say probably a, a good majority of your kills are about outsmarting the other person like there are not i mean this happens sometimes but there are, are very few just like head-to-head straight up call of duty like who can pull the trigger first kind of shootouts. It's usually right. about using the map, about sneaking up on someone, about figuring out ways to engage. And it's not like, you know, Rainbow Six Siege or anything that tactical, but right. it does kind of require a lot more thinking than the average shooter, which is kind of refreshing in, in an era where not that many shooters do that. Yeah, and I feel like part of that is also like the time to kill is a little bit higher than in something like Call of Duty, where you can just get taken out so quickly in, in Call of Duty. Whereas I feel like you do have a little bit more of an opportunity in, in um, Battlegrounds to get hit and still get away and maybe, you know, sneak back up and around and, and take the guy out. So there's there's just, just a very different kind of game. I do think that games like, like Call of Duty could rip off Battlegrounds to great effect. I don't know why there's not more Last Man Standing style arena games like this. Yeah, a few a few <laughs> places have tried. Like the Division kind of had a mode like this where you start with not that much stuff, but you're also like freezing and starving and all this other weird stuff. But and then I know yeah. GTA just introduced some version of this in one of their GTA Online updates oh, where they? you parachute in. I don't know how you know kind of engaging it is or if it works, but I know that they were kind of trying to play on the concept to some extent. But I agree with you about Call of Duty. I think that is a game where if, if it created a mode like that and just a big map itself with Call of Duty gameplay and maybe a higher time to kill, that would be really interesting. And I, I would definitely yeah. play that in a future Call of Duty game. Yeah, I even thought, you know, like a, like somebody should make a fantasy version of this this type of game. You know, like <laughs> That'd be cool. where, where you have... That would be cool, Heroes right? And like swords and... Yeah, and and so it's part of it's maybe a little more melee, or maybe you can find like scrolls or wands to to do like one off spells, uh, you know, in a in a fantastical map that that shrinks. I mean, I just feel like there's there's a lot of ways. 
<laughs> and I know I'm just saying to rip off this game, but I mean, this is what happens with a good idea, right? It's like Dark Souls. I mean, that was like yeah. such a unique thing that it became essentially its own genre. And it's created a bunch mm-hmm. of really good kind of imitators. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, all, all games are iterating on something else. So yeah. just because, you know, this is the most prominent example and like you don't, if you're just outright cloning it, that's one thing. But if you're just kind of learning from it and using the same kind of um, rules and stuff. I think that's fine, and I think that everyone would benefit from that, including the original game. Well, sure. I mean, without real competition, it's not going to ever have to get better. And there's certainly problems with Battlegrounds. There's, I mean, it's it's. I know I just was hearing from some gamers that it was crashing a lot for AMD users, um, and and you know, of course, it's it's still in early access. There's there's lots of time for them to screw it up royally um as many games do uh when they're in early access it's like some games get better and better others seem to learn all the I mean, I'm wrong amazed lessons it's not more screwed up to be honest <laughs> yeah given this the kind of small team and and the early access stuff but yeah i mean it's it's obviously going to run into some problems yeah so yeah i mean i would say that if you haven't played it yet i would definitely give this one a spin i think what is it like is it thirty dollars yeah, I think it's thirty. It's, it's twenty or thirty. It's I think it's thirty, but that's also a good, good selling point. Yeah, it's and I, I know they have um, aesthetic micro, microtransactions for like like clothes and stuff. Is that? Yeah, it's just I, it's I don't just know. Like, I, it's all clothing and cosmetic, and it's it's one yeah. of the least defensive loot boxes, I think, unless I'm missing something. But yeah, I don't know. I haven't tried it out because I just see no reason to ever make any sort of microtransaction purchase in the game. It's just the whole point of the game is just to go in with nothing and, and get stuff. You and then go in die. nothing with a funny wig on. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess the funny wig yep. would definitely make for a better experience. <laughs> um, I can't really talk. I've bought lots of loot boxes for Overwatch, but that's just for some reason those stupid loot boxes in yeah, Overwatch got, got have to get all the skins. I, even though I, I think we need to have a whole other conversation about loot boxes in this podcast because that's that's a can of worms yep, right there. Future episode. Um, yeah, future episode. Something to look forward to. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, check it out. Thirty dollars. It's it's you know it's definitely not your big triple A production, but it's one of the most fun, gut wrenching, um, addictive shooters on the market right now. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. That's it for this episode of Overworld. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Mini bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.